0: So Money Episode Four Thirty Nine. Alexandra Dickinson, founder and CEO of Ask for It. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. On So Money, we spend a lot of time talking about how to live a richer life. And some of us are hustling as entrepreneurs, which can make managing money even more complex. Enter FreshBooks, the easy cloud accounting software made specifically for entrepreneurs and business owners who need to find a better way to deal with their paperwork. For example, invoicing. With FreshBooks, it takes about 30 seconds to create and send a polished professional looking invoice. FreshBooks also has automated expense tracking where you can link your FreshBooks account to your credit and debit cards. The next time you expense that business lunch or a tank of gas, it'll show up automatically in your FreshBooks account. Accepting online payments can be challenge sometimes, but with FreshBooks, it takes two clicks. For a free 30-day unrestricted trial, go to freshbooks.com slash so money and enter so money podcast in the how did you hear about us section. If you have any questions, FreshBooks award-winning customer service is super helpful, friendly, and has zero attitude. So give FreshBooks a try for 30 days for free by going to freshbooks.com slash so money and enter so money podcast in the how did you hear about us section. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. If you are excited to learn more about how to get what you deserve in the workplace, how to ask for it, you're going to like today's episode. We've got Alexander Dickinson on the show today. She's on a crusade to close not only the gender wage gap, but also all the gaps at work, your professional gap, your title gap, your, your promotional gap, whether you're a man, a woman, She's the founder and CEO of Ask For It. It's a boutique consulting company that's working to close the gender wage gap and affecting change on both the institutional and individual levels. And Ask For It works with companies, schools, organizations, and individuals through trainings, workshops, and consulting, which I thought was great because, you know, here we have companies inviting this person and her movement into their organization to say, yeah, teach our employees how to ask for it. That's empowering. It's good to know that your boss wants you to ask for it. And ultimately, the company's goal, Ask For It's goal, is to help both men and women be paid based on their talents and skills, not just their gender. Alexander arrived at her entrepreneurial role as the founder of Ask For It after a layoff. She's only 30 years old and realized this is the time in her life to do something relatively risky, and so far it has proven a success. We learn why she is so savvy when it comes to asking for it, and that requires going down memory lane a bit. She had pretty influential parents. And of course, got to pick her brain, how do we ask for it so that we get it? (laughs) Here is Alexandra Dickinson. Alexandra Dickinson, welcome to the show. I can't wait to learn all about how to get what's mine in the workplace, <laughs> what I deserve and how to, uh, you know, advance. This is such an important mission that you're on. Universe was telling me to reach out to you. I had my husband who came home from work and said, I learned about this amazing company. You had been, I think your team was at his company giving some, uh, a a workshop. You were mentioned in one of my really good friends' newsletters as an expert on negotiation. My assistant had brought you up at a meeting and I thought, all right, let's make this happen. I need to reach out to Alex Dickinson. And of course, your company asked for it is so needed right now. And we'll learn a little bit more about all the services, but I'm want to start with your personal journey, why you wanted to start ask for it. As I understand this was very personal for you. You, I think we have a little bit in common in that you got laid off and that was the impetus for, you know, realizing that you wanted to. Do your own thing. And that happened to me too. I got booted from a company and I realized, okay, I could go back to working for the man or the woman, (laughs) Uh, or I could work for myself. And I chose, I thought, a harder decision, which was to work for myself, but far more fulfilling. So tell us about why you wanted to be your own boss, but particularly in this field.
1: Yeah. First of all, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, Yeah, and absolutely, I I got laid off from my last job, which, you know, it was pretty shocking to me. I felt I had always been sort of a good girl that, you know, got good grades in school and worked hard and got internships and did all those things. And so when when the boss called me in and said, we have some news, I was really taken aback. And um, I cried about it for a little while, not too long. But you know, there were some tears. I'm a crier. (laughs) And then I started interviewing. It's good to cry. It's good to get it out. out. Yeah, exactly. I started interviewing at other places and, you know, I thought about it and I had been working on ask for it as a side project for a couple months anyway. And it came to a point where I realized my heart wasn't in the interviews. My heart wasn't in thinking about what those jobs would be. I was feeling depressed already just thinking about going to work for another place that was just not gonna be fulfilling to me. And I thought, you know what? I'm I'm gonna give this a try. I'm working on this already. It seems like it's gaining traction. If not now, when? You know, I'm I'm I'll tell you I'm 30 years old, so I'm not that old yet. And I don't have a kid and I'm married and it seems like a good financial time to take the risk, seeing as how we're talking about money. Um, you know, when you're young you don't have too many obligations, you don't have too much debt, it's a good time to try something like this. And so I'm, I'm just happy to be on this journey and happy to be working with other women and men to help them achieve their goals. There's nothing like lifting as you climb. There's nothing that feels as good as a client coming back to me to say, guess what? Not only did I get the promotion I wanted, I got a bigger raise than I wanted, which happened to me last week, which was amazing. So it's pretty great to feel like my job is to help other people
0: achieve their goals And that's a job I made up for myself. I feel pretty great about it. For sure. How did you enter this particular field, though? Was this something that you were trained in? Do you have a background in you know, negotiation? What was the transition?
1: Yeah. So my background is communications and gender. And so that's my academic background. My master's degree got communications with an emphasis in gender, my professional experiences in communications. And I started out with a co-founder. And her background is HR, recruitment. And so together, we developed the curriculum, and we worked together to put together those different pieces, and it made a nice whole together. Um, and since, since then, I'm running the company now, and she's doing her thing, which is great. We're very close still. Um, but now, I spend lots of time reading and researching all the latest social science research and things like that. Negotiation has always been an interest of mine, and money has always been... A primary focus of mine ever since I was 14 years old, got my first job at McDonald's and started saving for my Roth IRA when I was 14. Really?
0: That's yes. what you wanted to do at 14?
1: No, that is not what I wanted to do. That's what my financial planning trainer dad told me to oh, do. God. And yeah. I thought... Oh, well, we have a, a lot more in common about? than I knew. Okay.
0: Oh, yeah. I didn't work at McDonald's, so my dad definitely dragged me to the bank to open up a Roth IRA at 16. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um. So Ask For It is the company, askforit.co. Yes. And whether you're asking for that raise or more resources because you want to create a project at work or you want to get that promotion, you want to change perhaps uh, verticals within the company... What do you find to be the most common thing people want to ask for and that you're often helping people with? So
1: people usually come to me when they're in a moment of career transition, whether they're looking to, they're interviewing at new places and they're looking to get a raise or they're at their current job and they feel like they've made a lot of contributions that maybe haven't been recognized and they're looking to be recognized in a formal way, whether that's a promotion or raise, usually both. Something that I always encourage my clients to do is think a little bigger picture about your ter- about your goals for your not just your job not just your career but your whole life. So really think about in 5 years, 5 years is so long that you you can't necessarily set a direct goal and then achieve that goal cuz life happens along the way. But in 5 years, if you're single now you might be married. If you're married you might have a kid. If you have one kid you might have two. Like life changes can happen to you in 5 years. And if you can imagine, okay, what situation am I going to be in, in five years that I want to start planning for now? And how does that translate back to goals that I can set in the short term? So listen, I've got a kid who's, you know, coming up on college, I really got to make sure that I'm in a strong position financially, when that happens, I'm going to be looking for a bigger promotion, I'm going to be looking to transfer, let's say from director to vice president. So what am I going to be doing? in the short term to set myself up for that success because when it comes to negotiating, it's not always going to be about the last dollar. It's about sometimes it is when your company has the money to give you, but I work with lots of folks that work in nonprofit or mission driven organizations that just don't have big budgets. And I always encourage people to think about what other things are valuable to you. And by knowing what your personal goals are a little bit further down the line, You can back that up to say, okay, well, if I want to transition into a leadership position, then maybe I want to think about getting some more direct reports, getting a budget to manage some other things so that when you get to that point, when you're ready, you can point back to all the experience that you've had that you asked for. And usually it's a win for everyone because your boss is like, great, you can take this off my plate. You can do that for me. And now you have the experience to point back to when you're ready to come up for that promotion.
0: So reverse engineering it is that what sounds like you're strategizing here. Exactly. And even if your ch- plans change, even if your quote unquote five-year plan derails or you change your mind, what's the worst that's going to happen? You've amassed all this experience and, and all these skills that will definitely be transferable to whatever else you're interested in doing, right? So there's no real big risk in planning it out, even if your plans don't pan out. Exactly. All right. So let's talk a little about Ms. Alex. And I was, my ears kind of perked up when you said you had a job at McDonald's at 14. I thought, I mean, I hear so many stories about entrepreneurs who started working at a young age and, and any job, you know, they, they didn't have the fanciest of jobs they weren't doing. I mean, what, what's really a fancy job at 14? Like babysitting <laughs> might be the, the fanciest thing you can do. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your financial philosophy first, like how you're, how Maybe you're trained to think about money and how that helps you in your own personal life. And then we'll talk a little bit about, you know, childhood a little bit, like going down memory lane. But what would you say is your your money mantra, Alex?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, like I mentioned, my my dad's a financial planner. And so all this stuff was ingrained in me from a very young age, from when I was definitely too young to fully understand it or really even care about it. But he sort of said, well this is what you're doing. You're opening a Roth IRA. You'll thank me later. And I was like, what's a Roth IRA? But I opened one anyway. And now of course I'm glad for it. Um, so you know, the thing that my dad taught me when I was very young, which has really stuck with me, which I try to impress on all my girlfriends and all my clients is pay yourself first because the money that you save now is going to just grow and grow over time. The more money you can put away when you're young, you are just going to be so grateful to yourself later in life. You know, for women in particular, women have a wage gap. In general, women make less than men. And so by the time you get to retirement, you know, your social security is going to be less. Any pension that you have is going to be less cuz it's based on how much you made while you were working. Let's say you take time out to have kids. You know, even if you marry a man, this is a little it's a little sad to think about, but women typically live longer than men. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you you don't want to outlive your money. That's the worst thing that could happen, right? So pay yourself first. And pay yourself first doesn't mean like buy the handbag that you want first. It means (laughs) put money away for your future first. And even if it's a little bit, even a little bit when you're young, it grows and grows over time. And so, you know, that was something that was impressed upon me from a very young age and it did
0: stick. And so when you got that first job, did you feel comfortable asking for the raise, given that you had a very, you know, I guess more or less more confident Upbringing, when it came to money, and you had know, awareness of money as a kid, did you feel prepared when you were on the job finally to, you know, negotiate for yourself?
1: Oh gosh, I would say that I was definitely aware. I don't know that I would say I was confident at that age. Um, I think I was offered. Ten cents more than minimum wage, and I thought that that was a big win at fourteen. So no, I did not negotiate my first oh, job. Oh, not
0: at McDonald's. <laughs> Trust me, I know oh, that. Okay. that. That I was. I'm. I'm. I'm impressed you even got more than minimum wage. But um, <laughs> when you were finally, you know, in the workforce, did you uh, feel yeah. that all that training as a kid helped, and that you were able to get a little bit more in the workforce once you were out of college? You know.
1: It's interesting, because I have always been a person that sets big goals. And then I like to draw a straight line to my goal, and get all my obstacles out of the way. And now this is something that I try to share with others. But it's, you know, as somebody who's done this for a whole lifetime, I can tell you that when you try to set too far away goals, it doesn't, it doesn't always work out exactly as you imagine, right? So I had this idea of, you know, I went to school in New York City, I wanted to stay in New York City, and I'm an only child, so I can't share. And I really wanted a studio apartment. I didn't want to have roommates. And so I backed that up into, okay, I need to get a job that makes X amount of dollars when I graduate so that I can afford the lifestyle that I want. Um, so I put the lifestyle first at that time. Which, yeah, I learned so much from my first corporate job. I worked at an oil company. So I had interned there during college. I only took paid internships in college. I did not take any unpaid internships because I just felt that my time was worth something even though I was young. And so, you know, I took an internship at an oil company and it paid pretty well. And then they made me a full-time job offer when I graduated. And, you know, the advice I was given at the time honestly was, wow, this is so much more than most people get for their first job. And you should be really loyal. Um, they did make me a good first offer, but I did not negotiate it. Even though I had more awareness, I didn't have the confidence at that time. And I stayed there for five years. I learned a ton. Like I said, I did get that lifestyle that I was looking for. Um, you know, minimal though it was. I got my studio apartment. I paid for it myself. I paid the broker fee myself. I never felt prouder. Um, and I learned a lot from it. But I also learned what works for me and what, you know, isn't an ideal for fit for me and working in a big corporate environment just
0: wasn't my jam. So that confidence factor that you talk about, is that something that you coach people on and and how do you get over that if you feel... You know, I feel that especially when you're young and you have that job, you're just happy to be there. I mean, because you know how competitive the, maybe not so much now, but if you got out of school five, six years ago, it was a whole different economy. Getting that first job was, could have taken a year. So were you really going to then ask for more money? It may have felt inappropriate. Um, even though it was deserved. So how do you coach people on rebuilding or building confidence? Absolutely. Yeah. It's so
1: important because if you don't believe it first, no one else is going to believe it. So if you're going in there sweating bullets, thinking like, Oh my gosh, is this a good idea? Maybe I shouldn't be doing this for whatever reason, the context or your own personal comfort. If you don't buy it, they're not going to buy it. And so the first thing I work with people on is the mindset. First of all, we think of negotiation as I'm going to win, you're going to lose there's a fixed number of pieces in the pie and I want all the pieces and I'm not giving you any, right? And so that opponent mentality gets you every time. If you can approach it with a creative problem-solving mindset of, I have some priorities and you have some priorities, I may not know what yours are. I may not know what your most important thing is. It might not be the last dollar for you. It might be you really want, you know, you're getting a new job and you they want someone to start next week and you were hoping to take the summer off after you graduated. Well, they really want someone to start next week. Maybe they're willing to throw you a bone for that, you know? So the the thing that most people forget to do is think about the other person. We're all so busy focusing on ourselves and we're all so busy thinking, what do I want? What do I deserve? Well, that's great. But you know what? The person that you're talking with is also thinking the same thing. So if you actually put the work in and the time in to ask questions, that are strategic, that try to give you a sense of what their priorities are, that's the way that you can make your request that's going to be easy for them to say yes to. Make it something that's going to appeal to them. And so that goes a long way toward the confidence factor of it's not just, okay, am I going to bluff? What am I going to say? What are the magic words? Never bluff, first of all, never bluff. And then, you know, it's not about magic words. It's about having a thoughtful conversation, understanding where your counterpart comes from, and then fitting what you want
0: in with what they want. Hey, So Money listeners, I wanna take a minute to tell you all about our sponsor, Ting. Ting is a different kind of mobile service provider, finally making your monthly cell phone bill easy to understand and affordable. With an average monthly bill of $23 per device, Ting is helping people save a lot of money on their cell phone bill. With Ting, how you use your phone determines what you pay. If you use less, you pay less. Absolutely love your phone? 80% of devices can come to Ting. Just use the handy device checker to see if your phone can make the move to Ting. But if you're looking to upgrade that old phone, they have plenty of options in their online shop too. Stuck in a contract? Ting will give you credit if you're paying an ETF to come to Ting. They offer 25% credit of your ETF up to $75 per device just for switching. Ready to make the switch? Ting is offering $25 towards your first device or Ting service when you sign up at com. That's com to get your $25 credit. It echoes what I just learned also from Harvard professor Dan Shapiro. He wrote a book recently called Negotiate the Non-Negotiable. Your sentiments are spot on. I think he also believes that the best way to come out of a negotiation For both parties is to really have empathy. And I said, well, okay, what if, like, okay, let's say you do all the homework, you do all the good question asking, you figure out what your, uh, what the other party needs, but the other party doesn't care about you. And he goes, that's okay. It only takes one person. You know, in other yes. words, like you can steer this ship if you're the one who decides I'm going to be the adult, I'm going to be the caring person here and the thoughtful person here to actually go and figure out what the other person needs. In this case, you know, your employer, if they need you to start early, they need you to work kind of un- unorthodox hours, whatever it is. Well, fine, you know, give them that. But uh, like you said, maybe if you're that or if you're going to be the employee that's going to fulfill all their requests, then there's a price for that. They can't have it all. Exactly. What's a challenge that you experienced on in the workplace that besides, of course, the layoff, which I, you know, I high five you <laughs> virtually <laughs> on that. Um, but what would you say was a challenge that you had and what you would have done differently?
1: Uh, let's see.
0: The biggest challenge that comes to mind,
1: of course, is getting laid off. But, um, you know, after I left my first job, I actually, I got recruited to my second job to do something similar than what i had done at the first place and at the time i was i thought jobs are like men you want to be pursued this is so great i'm amazing i got <laughs> recruited i am so cool um you know i lasted 6 months at that job so you know i really did not take time during my interview process to understand the people that I would be working for, understand what their priorities were. I was so distracted by the title, by the pay rise, by the fact that they had sought me out, that I couldn't wait to tell the story to everybody. Guess what, mom and dad? Guess what, friends? Guess what, boyfriend? I got a new job. I'm hot stuff. And I really did not... The interview is a two-way process. And many of us that are sitting in the employee seat think, how am I going to make them like me? How am I going to get them to give me what I'm asking for? And we don't think strategically about what it's going to be like when we get there. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted. I didn't ask the right questions. I didn't ask enough questions. I was so distracted by how exciting everything seemed. And I was so ready to tell that story to my friends and family. I got a new job. I got a promotion. I got a raise. I'm, I'm so hot. There weren't enough challenges for me at that job. There wasn't enough for me to do that I thought was compelling. And I became very unsatisfied and I, I left within six months. So I didn't take that opportunity to really make that interview work for me.
0: But I think quitting was, was, um, a great way to address the problem, you know, and so, cause so many of us would have probably stayed because of the, the, the good pay and the title and all of that. Don't you think? I mean, that's a situation a lot of us are in. We don't like our jobs, but we're tied to, we have like the golden handcuffs, you know, we want to get the money and not that like we're making CEO pay, but, you know, we're, yeah. we get accustomed no. to the benefits and the salary. For me, I came home miserable every day.
1: I mean, I would count the days that I didn't cry as opposed to the ones that I did. And, you know, I, I don't think I was married yet, but I was, I was living with my boyfriend who's now my husband. And, you know, we talked about it together and he w- really was like, listen, you can't go on like this. And I can't go on like this. So like, what, what's going to happen here? And I'm a pretty mo- self motivated person. And if I'm unhappy, I'm going to do something about it. And so I just felt a sense of dread going into the office every day and I didn't get along well with my managers and I didn't have a lot of teammates. It was a very small team. And so I felt isolated and alone and also bored and boredom is almost the worst thing. Like, isn't there any other contribution I could make?
0: <laughs> right, right. You, you hired me for something obviously, but I'm not doing it. Yeah. One of the great things about ask for it, I think is that, you're invited by companies and organizations to come into their organizations and, and teach their employees about how to negotiate better and how to ask for what they want. And that's very encouraging, right? Because it sends the message that you should have confidence because in in a workplace that's healthy and understanding and nurturing, they want to cultivate a work environment where their employees feel safe and encouraged to, you know, to negotiate and to speak up. And I think that's something that we sometimes don't assume, right? That the workplace is this dark and upsetting place where they just want you to do your job, head down, and then, you know, maybe they'll give you a watch when you retire, but then you shouldn't (laughs) expect anything else. But this is really, for me, I think it's a sign that maybe the workplace is changing and, and the environment's changing. Employers want to Um, want to empower their employees. That's kind of great news. Yeah. And, you know, a satisfied employee is an
1: employee who is not looking for the next best thing. So somebody who feels like, oh, I have some long-term goals and I know how to achieve them here at my current company, you know, it's not always about the last dollar. There are other things that are valuable, and that's the work that I do with people: is to, okay, what are your longer-term goals, and then what sorts of things are going to set you up now for success down the road? And it's really it's a win on both sides because from the company perspective, then players are more engaged, they're less likely to leave. It gets at the retention issue, especially for the younger folks. That change jobs more often. So it it's works for everybody really. And that's the the crux of a good negotiator is you're not just getting a good deal for yourself, but you're maintaining and enhancing your relationship with your counterpart too.
0: And Ask For It is not just your company. It's become this mission. It's become a hashtag on Twitter, hashtag Ask For It. What's been some of the surprising elements of launching your business that have blown you away, that have been really endearing and have been really encouraging to you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. I mean, one piece of advice that I often give people is
1: when you're doing research, everyone knows you have to do your research before you you know negotiate for something Talk to other human beings. And there's lots of caveats I could give you about, oh, if you're going to talk to your current colleagues and you have to be very careful, this and that, right? We, I could, You can probably imagine what the, all those things are because you've heard that advice before, right? But what I find shocking is what people find out when they do it. Because they, I convince them, okay, it's worth it. It's how much are you willing to pay to avoid having an awkward conversation with somebody about how much money they make? You just come at it straightforward. You're not coming from a place of curiosity. You're coming from a place of, I'm doing research because I'm about to apply for a new job or I'm about to go into my performance review. I'm wondering if you would share a ballpark salary with me because I think that information would be helpful. When people go out on a limb and they do it, the information they come back with is astounding. I had one client who she had this conversation with them. She realized she was making $20,000 less than them and she thought, "Well, gosh, I mean, I know maybe you went to a different school than I did, but our backgrounds aren't that different." And she brought it up in her performance review and the boss said, "I, you know, I think the pay is standardized for this level. I don't know. You know, let me just confirm with HR." And the boss went to HR and it was it, it. was a typo. It was a mistake when they hired me. They put it in wrong, basically. And if she hadn't had that conversation, and she hadn't asked, she wouldn't have known. Twenty thousand dollars. That's a lot. That's a lot from that confidence perspective. To think this is how much this job is worth, and not question it for a year.
0: A before typo. You get to the, before a typo. So this begs the question: If you get what's Considered maybe proprietary information, not public information. A, a kind coworker, you know, gives you a ballpark figure of what he or she's making to help you with your negotiation. How do you bring that up in the meeting with your boss in such a way that doesn't seem like you are being sneaky or maybe even, you know, in some cases, in some, depending on the culture, depending on the bylaws, like that could be. Breaking, you know, a code of some sort. Like you're not supposed to go snooping around, finding out other people's salary because that's private. You know, women ask me sometimes, I found out somehow they don't say, wow. I mean, I I sense or I know I found out that my colleague who's a male makes, Mm -hmm. you know, 20% more, $30,000 more. How do I bring this up? And I say, my gut instinct is don't make it about him. Ask for that raise, but not make it all about your colleague. Make it about what you're worth your value. Um,
1: yeah, you you are spot on. I would advise somebody, you never give up that person who gave that information to you, first of all, because they are, you know, doing you a favor, basically. So you never give them up. You know, yeah, exactly. You don't, you don't reveal where you got that information. You, you bring up the money last, right? You make your case, uh, you know, Throughout the entire conversation or series of conversations, it's about what you made the company, what you saved the company. It's about your past performance, what you're being asked to do going forward. And then you're looking at the marketplace for what's a fair value for the work that I'm doing around here and at other similar companies. And I happen to know that there are folks that do a similar job like me or folks around here or whatever that I'm just trying to understand. The difference is, I'm just trying to make sure I'm paid fairly. Appealing to people's sense of fairness can often be a really good tactic because what we feel from those playground days of like, hey, she stole my toy. Hey, he Mm -hmm. stole my ball. That doesn't leave us, even as adults. It manifests in a different way. But people want to feel like they're being treated fairly. People also want to feel like they are acting in a fair way. I am Appealing to that sense
0: of fairness... Fairness. And I also find that in, in my experience, it's helped to present your case. And if there's like a little bit of an awkward silence or something, you can end with, if you were me, what would you do? Or I would coming to someone at, seeking advice as opposed to here's what I want. And here's my ultimatum, you know, but here's what I've learned. Um, what would you recommend I do? Or what do you recommend happens in this situation? You know, I think because then you're one making it be more of a conversation. It's, not, it's non-threatening. And two, it cr- forces the other person to suddenly have empathy, which is ultimately the best way to negotiate. Absolutely. Yeah. The, my favorite
1: piece of <clears throat> negotiation advice that I've ever been given is speech is silver, silence is golden. People yes. feel a need to fill <laughs> silence. And if you're willing to hang with that silence you could get somebody else to jump in and say, hey,
0: you know what? Let me just talk to HR and figure that out for you. I'm writing that down. Speech is silver. Silence is golden. And this is in the context of negotiation. Brilliant. Yes. (laughs) I think um, whether you're like, asking for that raise or i find even when you're shopping <laughs> and this is a little sidebary but you know when you're in the mall or in a store and you want to ask the salesperson for a better price or 10% off or whatever this has also been you know studied in in the books and they say you know give it a little bit of a pause and if there is an awkward silence let that kind of sink in and be awkward and then it almost forces the other person to jump in and fill. If you're not going to do it, the other person will. It's almost like, don't be that person who's going to fill that awkward silence. Let the other person do the This is all fantastic advice. And I want more people to go and check out askforit.co and hashtag askforit. Let us know your stories of success and um, follow Alex on Twitter. We're going to make sure that, you know, we really get the word out about your mission, Alex, because it's so important. And you're all over the country, right? I mean, a lot of your workshops are in New York, but you are a, an international service. Yeah. I've had
1: clients over in London, clients on the West Coast. Yep. I mean, the phone works anywhere, so I can always <laughs> meet with people, happy to travel, love traveling. So
0: yeah, do, absolutely. Do, do you find that the issues here at in the US are similar abroad in terms of people's Challenges, difficulties at work, getting ahead, figuring out what they want to do and how to ask for what they want. There's always cultural sensitivities that you want to bear in mind. So,
1: you know, most of the research that I study is from this country and is pretty rooted in things that are, that are going on here. But, um, you know, my husband's British. And so, you know, I've got a lot of family over there, spend a lot of time over there. And so for me to work with someone in the UK, I have, you know, I have a sense of that. You, it's it's important, though, to bear those cultural differences in mind, even if the cultural difference is with the person that you're negotiating with, but you're in the same country, because we have a global workforce, right? right. So you, you might be talking to somebody who grew up in a different country or who transferred offices, your company has multiple offices, and they came over from somewhere else. And so that's work that I do, too, is, okay, understanding what sort of trust do you value? Do you value trust where you have lots of credentials or trust where it's very personal and you know that person? So different cultures have different viewpoints on those things. So any insights that you can get into, and there's a balance because you don't want to go so far into stereotyping, but Mm -hmm. empathy, like you said, is really the key, is really trying to put yourself in that other person's shoes and get to know them well enough that you can do that. And If you really are being thoughtful, respectful, open-minded, and coming again with that creative problem-solving mindset, it's not just about what I want. It's about creating something that's valuable to both of us. Those are skills that work no matter where you are, no matter where you're from.
0: People just want to feel heard. They do. And hey, if you aren't getting what you need in the workplace, maybe it's not a bad idea to become your own boss. Hey, becoming my own boss is the best thing that's ever
1: happened to me. Like you said, I have always, I've always been a very self-directed person, never really liked following other people's rules. And, you know, that's not always the best quality. It's definitely gotten me into trouble in my younger years. (laughs) But, um, now I'm in charge. I get to decide what I think is valuable, what, you know, there are plenty of things that are not that exciting that I have to do anyway. And, it's a great feeling, but it's a risk. You have to make sure that your financial ducks are in a row mm-hmm. before you say, well, I'm tired of my job. I'm going to quit. Oh, do you sure. Yeah, that's valid. Valid. Do you have savings? Do you have a partner? There's all kinds of things you have to
0: think about before you make the leap. But once you do, it's pretty great. There's no looking back. Alex Dickinson, thank you so much for your inspiring story, your amazing mission, and we'll be looking out for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to chat with you today. That's a wrap. Thanks so much to Alexandra Dickinson, founder and CEO of Ask For It. The website is askforit.co. She's on Twitter at askforitco and also at underscore Alex Dickinson. That's on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. If you've got a question for me about getting a raise, about money, about retirement, about whatever, transitioning, jobs, going back to school, I love hearing all of your questions and also your follow-ups. Send me a note. Go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh, and that way we'll connect for the Friday episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so So money.